I'm Jen Taylor Skinner, and this is The Electorate. On this episode, I have a conversation with Congresswoman Val Dimmings. As we enter the final days before the presidential election, she joins me to discuss what's truly at stake in this election. We also talk about her speech during last year's impeachment hearings and why she said during that speech that she didn't fear this moment in history. And we talk about how she maintains her resolve through this moment of crisis for our democracy. So here's my conversation with Congresswoman Val Dimmings. Representative Val Dimmings, welcome to the podcast. It's great to be with you. Thanks for inviting me. You know, one of the moments that I remember, and I, and I always think about this a lot whenever ever I'm feeling you know kind of down and things are terrible. I remember your address during the impeachment hearings, right? You know, and that, that really stayed with me because you reminded me and you reminded Americans that, you know, we've been through worse. Yeah. You talked about your parents. You talked about, you know, you being raised by, you know, the daughter of a maid and a janitor during the 60s. <laughs> And, you know, being the descendant of slaves, you know, being a black woman in the South. I'm a black woman who grew up in the South, too. And that, you know, these were people who did not know if they would make it or not, but they were determined to make it. And I remember what you said. You said that you did not fear that moment. Right. That's right. (laughs) And that was was a year ago. Right. So people are really afraid now because it's literally life or death. What do you say to us now? What we say is to remember our history. Because, you know, as I indicated in my address during the impeachment uh, inquiry, America has some deep, dark days. But we've also, through it all, been able to come out of those days into brighter days. It wasn't easy. It never is. But we have to believe that we are still capable of becoming the country that we were created to be. And it was important for me to talk about uh, my parents at that point because they helped to help me to set the stage for the message I wanted to convey that night. Look, the daughter of a maid and a janitor, my parents were good, decent, honest people who loved this country, even though there were times the country did not act like it loved them. And they taught their children to be honest and decent and respectful and to love and not hate. I also, I I thought about 400 years ago, you know, how this country was built on the backs of slaves and slaves who worked all day long and still sang songs in the fields. And, And so, you know, we have the ability to live up to who we say we are because I've seen this country do it before. And even though we find ourselves during this critical time with someone who just currently in office, who just does not understand who we are or what America was designed to be, um, has taken us to such a dark place. But I do believe that help is on the way. And in four more days, we have the opportunity to elect Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, people who get it, people who believe in something bigger than themselves, people who believe in this country, understand the joys and pains of this country and can really take us closer to a more perfect union. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's the fundamental thing about the person who is occupying the office right now is that he just at the at the the core, at the deepest level, he does not understand what this country is about. Right. Um, and that's why it. he does the things he does. Like he would not be trying to suppress the vote, which is fundamental to everything that we have the way that he does it. If he truly understood America, you know, our, our country is in trouble. 
And, you know, I guess being a former law enforcement officer, that might not be the most politically correct thing. But, you know, I've tried to be as upfront and as transparent as I can. Uh, And we're in trouble. And we have one person, Joe Biden, who cares about that and wants to do something about it. And we have the other person, Donald Trump, who only cares about himself and wants us to not believe our eyes and our ears. And so we have four more days, four more days before everything that we care about will come together or four more days before everything that we care about will fall apart. And so it's just really a critical time. And you're right. The vote is so important. And, you know, all of the efforts since the very beginning to suppress the vote. So that lets us know how critical and how important our vote is, because, my gosh, since the beginning, 100 years ago and more, people have worked hard to stop blacks and women and other minorities from being able to exercise their most fundamental, precious right. And that's the right to vote. All right. Well, at some point, you know, when things get to the way they are right now, you're right. We're in trouble. At some point, you drop your titles, you drop your labels and you just become an American. And you have to be on. like, at what point are you honest about the moment that we're in? Right. Some people seems like they'll never get there. Right. You know, they'll just keep going along with the game and pretending everything's fine. But the rest of us, you know, we're just Americans. and We're telling people that the truth that we're in trouble. That's right. And look. No one planned COVID-19. I'll start there because that's that's on everybody's mind too, right? And no one planned it, but our response to it as a nation is everything. Our response to it as a nation is the difference between life and death. Our response to it as a nation is the difference between uh, being able to keep the doors open on your small business. And, you know, we have lost so much. People are struggling. They're suffering. They're trying to make ends meet to keep a roof over their heads and food on the table. They're worried about their children. And when you think about the number of people, millions of Americans have lost their jobs through no fault of their own. They've lost their jobs. And women in particular have been feeling the major brunt of this crisis. And, you know, when I hear the the president, the current occupant of the White House, talk mm-hmm. about, you know, say to suburban women, oh, we're going to get, oh, I'm going to get your husbands back to work. Heck, over 50% of America's workforce are women. So it just continues to show how out of touch he is. And so, you know, women have been disproportionately impacted by the lack of response to the Corona virus. And so, as I said, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, they care about that. They have a plan to get us out of it. The current occupant of the White House never had a plan because he was never interested in governing. I think he was interested in figuring out how he could leverage the power of the White House for his own personal gain. And that is just disgraceful. While we need to restore someone who has a plan for America to the White House, need to put that person in the White House. We also need to put integrity and honesty and decency back in the White House. But we have four more days. Yeah, four more days. And I think you're absolutely right. I think Obama said this recently in one of the rallies he did for Joe Biden that, that you know, Trump is not interested in doing the job. He was never interested in doing the job. He has other interests, right? And it probably has something to do with those millions of dollars in debt that he has, you know, but that's, that's another yeah. issue. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I served as an impeachment manager, right? I know the whole story. And I I have concluded that this president was never interested in governing. Uh, America was just a, a, a bargaining tool for him in his next deal. 
And I think that's absolutely disgraceful. Yeah. What I appreciate about your leadership is that I know that you focus on those things that we aren't getting a lot of news about. Right. I mean, there's so much and I'm not faulting anyone. There's just so much to talk about. You know, people are kind of focusing on COVID in relation to the deaths and the numbers that are rising. Mm -hmm. But, you know, once this is all over, there are going to be lives that are devastated. You know, businesses closed. I saw a number the other day, something like 50 percent of black businesses have closed. Right. I think that was the number. And, you know, people are being evicted. You know, and, and, you know, as a, as a former social worker and a former police chief, I know about those things. I know those people. I've met those people. I've worked with those people before. We are talking about real people with real issues. And you're absolutely correct. Now, let's think about black businesses, because what I do as an elected official is go around and try my best to inspire people to, you know, uh, uh, invest in their skills and talents and abilities and realize their dream and open up that business that you've been thinking about. And can you imagine you do that? You take your limited life savings and you put all of your hope and hopes and dreams into a business and then something comes along through no fault of your own and you lose it. And, and, and worse than that, the person in charge doesn't even seem to care about those 50% of black businesses that have closed. And so, right, we're, you know, we have an affordable housing crisis in this country anyway on a good day. But I hear from constituents every day who are scared to death, they are going to be evicted any moment. And here in Florida, we have a governor who the night before the extension expires decides, well, okay, I'll extend it. You know, I'll extend it. Well, could you imagine living like that when you think I need to start packing up because I'm going to be evicted? What's anybody doing for me? I'm an honest person. I worked hard. I did. And, and, and so real people with real issues worried that they're going to be thrown out on the street, worried, should I send my children back to school or not? Because I need to go back to work so, you know, so I can keep the roof over my head and food on the table. Or is there childcare out there that's available for me? These are real issues. And so it, it's, we have a person occupying the White House who is completely out of touch with that. Joe Biden is in touch with it because he's lived it. And you know what he does? He and Kamala, they get out and talk to people who ha are having this experience. They're not behind some barrier at a rally just talking about how great they are or how cold they are and how it's all about them or how they were able to beat COVID-19. And we should not allow it to take over our lives when that person had the most professional, the best medical team that, you know, taxpayer dollars can buy. And so it's just he's out of touch. And we need someone who's in touch with the American people. And that's Joe Biden. We do. I remember after the well, the first thing I want to say is that a lot of those families that we were just talking about, and this is the thing I think about a lot and we don't hear enough about, is that a lot of those families have not recovered from the Great Recession under Bush, from the last Republican administration, and they will never recover that wealth. So that's one thing to think about. Right. So, you know, we further they've further been devastated under this current administration. And the second thing about him only caring about himself. I remember after the second debate, Joe Biden, you know, was doing social media posts and doing addresses and tweets about the American people, what he was going to do about the pandemic, what he was going to do about the economy. And the occupant of the White House kept tweeting about any story that said he'd won the debate. <laughs> it was like dozens of tweets about how he'd won the debate. Nothing about the American people, nothing. 
And, and you know, it's kind of obvious, too. I mean, we know he watches a lot of television to see what people are saying about him. Who has the time to do? Look, <laughs> police chief, I definitely didn't have time to sit around and watch television. Um, and, and certainly as a member of Congress, I don't have that time. How does he have time as the president of the United States to sit around and watch what people are saying about him on TV and then send out tweets? It just further demonstrates how uninterested he is in really governing. And, you know, when we think about every, you know, there's that question out there, what do you have to lose and what's at stake in this election? You know, we think about everything that we are uh, as a nation is at stake, our reputation on a world stage, our decency, our word, our integrity. But what about those things that the American people care about, the things that you just talked about that keep people up all night? Health care. We're in the middle of a public health pandemic and we have a president who's gone to court trying to appeal, <laughs> repeal the Affordable Care Act with absolutely nothing to replace it and take coverage away from millions of Americans, but also those with pre-existing conditions. We've talked about housing. We already have an affordable housing crisis. Let's talk about education. That's how our education is just unaffordable for so many of our children. You know, And so we need somebody who cares about those things. Joe Biden has a plan for all of those things. Let's talk about criminal justice reform, how well I know about that and the need, social justice, police reform, but also dealing with those quality of life issues, substandard housing, substandard education, drug, uh, uh, you know, addiction treatment, mental health counseling. Joe Biden has a plan to deal with those things. The current occupant of the White House doesn't even know there's a problem or does not care that there is a problem. The only thing that is on his mind four days out from the election is what story he can tell, true or not, that will help him win the election or how he can lie, cheat, steal, and cheat to win the election. That is the only thing on his mind. No, you're right. I mean, most of those things you just mentioned, he never never talks about. about (laughs) Have you ever heard him talk about the cost of college tuition? No. And how young people, once they are able to, you know, they're accepted into college and able to study hard and graduate, that they're saddled with debt, mountains of debt. Have you ever heard the current occupant of the White House talk about that? No, he doesn't know how to do the job. He just doesn't know how to do the job. He knows how to be um, an entertainer. So, you know, again, <laughs> we keep talking about that's why you vote in Kamala Harris and, and Joe Biden. Sorry. You know, and, and, and talk about women. And I talked about the impact that all of this has on women. I mean, you could take, you know, every issue is a woman's issue because it all affects disproportionately impacts women, whether it's COVID-19 or healthcare or pre-existing conditions or the cost of college tuition or wages being paid less than a man for the same job. And that's why we have, you know, the Women for Biden who have mobilized hundreds of thousands of women all over the country who are making calls, who are having, you know, meetings via Zoom and other webinars and other social media to get the word out that if we really want to make a difference in these these issues that we do care about, then we have to mobilize to elect Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. And, you know, we, we talk about being committed to women's issues. I think Joe Biden demonstrated that when he said, I'm going to appoint a woman as my running mate. I'm going to appoint a woman as my partner. 
He said that and he followed through on that commitment. Women know that every issue impacts them more, more than anybody. And that's why, you know, I like to call it, we, we talk about women for Biden. I'm glad to be a part of it, but I like to call it Operation Women for Biden. <laughs> <laughs> Makes me feel at home, right? Because when women get busy, things happen. When women get busy, things change. And when women get busy, we win. And so count the number of women who were standing in lines uh, at polling places around the country at these early voting sites. You know, they remember what Michelle Obama's instructions were. Be prepared. Take your comfortable shoes. Pack a lunch or dinner if you have to. Take your folding chair. Who was it? Charlie Chisholm who said, look, if you don't have a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. (laughs) Women are in the lines They're there for the long haul. They understand how critical this election is. Women know that we make all the difference in the world, and they know that there's only one team who cares about them and everything that they care about, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. You know, I think on that note, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, with four more days and I live in a state where we vote by mail. We've been voting by mail in Washington state for as long as I can remember. So it was easy for me. I turned to my ballot last week. Right. But I hear these stories, you know, these people standing in line, you know, lines wrapped around the corner, you know, standing in line for hours. And I feel like, you know, once this is over, you know, once we passed, you know, we're passed next Tuesday. We need to, the people who are privileged enough to live in states like I do and who aren't as affected by voter suppression as other people, we need to make it our job to make sure that everybody has it as easy as we have it, right? So my job doesn't end with turning in my ballot. That's right. That's right. I was on a call last night and we were talking about uh, voting rights. We were talking about John Lewis and how he shed his blood on the Edmund Pettus Bridge, just trying to make sure that everyone had the right to vote. We talked about the poll taxes and, and and poll tests of the past, like how many jelly beans are in a jar, how many feathers on a duck, how many uh, <laughs> bubbles are on that bar of soap. You know, all of those ridiculous things that we've, those were the taxes and tests of the past. But today, now we see polling places closing and, and, and lines wrapped around buildings and places where you can vote with your gun permit, but not your student ID. And so those are the more modern day forms of voter suppression. And we, we in our conversation last night, we talked about how we really need to come together after the election and continue to work on these issues because our job is to make voting easier for the American people, not more uh, difficult. And uh, and finish the work really that uh, John Lewis, you know, gave, dedicated his life to uh, to that work and shed his blood, right? Yeah, shed shed blood on that blood. bridge. Yeah, and I've been on the Edmund Pettus Bridge with John Lewis, and you know, it's just. You know, so when we're standing in, okay, if you want to close polling places and make me drive an hour to vote and then make me wait two, three, four, seven, eight hours in line, I'm going to remember John Lewis and I'm going to do what it takes. But then we're never going to give up the fight to continue to make voting easier and not more difficult. Look, I'm, I'm from the state of Florida and I remember Gore Bush 2000. And so, uh, so, you know, shenanigans, you know, we just passed in 2018 amendment four, which would have given restored voting rights for convicted felons who had served their time. 63% of Floridians voted in favor of that amendment. And yet 
state legislature, governor have come up with, you know, a, another poll tax is what I call it, where they're saying, well, oh, well, if you owe fees, if you owe back fees or court fees or any other kind of fees, then you got to pay all of that before you're able to vote. Well, you know, there are a couple of problems with that. Number one, how are you going to do that? Because you've, you know, you've just been released from prison. But number two, there are people who have, who are not just released from prison, who owe back fees and fines, and they can go vote. So you can't have the same right. standard and it's used against one group of people, but used, it's fine with another group of people. And so, you know, the, 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 Tricks of the trade, the shenanigans continue. And you're right, our job, even after this election, is to continue to find ways, whether that's legislatively or other ways, to make voting easier. Yeah, the irony of that, the biggest criminal of all who's occupying the White House is probably is has no problem voting. I was an impeachment manager. Tell me about it as he <laughs> talked about how, the, the you know, the fraud, all the voting fraud with vote by mail. And this is a man and his family and his staff, who all, guess what, voted by mail. So it's just the hypocrisy is just, but anyway. Yeah. So just in closing, you know, you know, we get past next week. We're, you know, Trump's out of office November 4th, or he's voted out of office, you know, by November 4th, the weeks following that, and we're past the inauguration. What lesson do we take as a nation so that we don't end up there again? Well, number one, I think... We never take anything for granted. You know, the, the founders of this country, while they had their issues as well, when they created this great American experience, they built a system of checks and balances, which I think was pretty brilliant, where one branch of government would check the other, equal branches of government. If the executive branch did wrong, and boy, have we seen that over the last four years, then the legislative branch would check them or the judicial branch would check the legislative branch or the executive branch. The branches would check each other. Now, the founders, it was interesting, um, were concerned about an undisciplined and unprincipled man finding man, of course, because that's as far as their vision could take them. We still aren't there yet, but I know it's coming. Uh, But an unprincipled and undisciplined man finding his way to the White House. So they gave the House of Representatives the power of impeachment. But what they did not factor on was all of the branches of government failing or crumbling. And when the executive branch of government was out of control, unethical, illegal, immoral, the legislative branch failed to check them, i.e. the Senate said, oh, nothing to see here. Let's not impeach and remove. The judicial branch, we've seen the president over the last four years, you talk about court packing. The the president and the Senate have focused on little else other than ramming through, pushing through, rushing through justices and judges in our courts. And so our first priority, I believe, after Joe Biden and Kamala Harris take office, is to really look at how we can continue to strengthen and protect our democracy. Put those processes or uh, legislation in place so when the system breaks down, we can still protect 
the House's right, number one, to issue a subpoena and have the person who receives that subpoena respond to it. Uh, and so we do have to focus there. And we just have to remember who we are as a nation and that our democracy is the best, but with that, it's a fragile democracy. We have to focus on making voting easier and not more difficult so every person can have that right. We have to restore the, the portions of the Voting Rights Act of 1965 that were removed in Shelby versus Holder that really gave teeth to the legislation to hold those states that misbehave accountable. And so I think that has to be a priority. And then we have unified strategic response to COVID. We have gun safety legislation that we need to get passed. We have to look at education and make sure that we strengthen public education so we can give children, because we know the majority of American, America's children will go through the public education school system stronger and give them the best chance of success. We have to look at women and making less than what a man makes for the same work. We have to protect the Affordable Care Act and expand on it so we can protect pre-existing conditions and women cannot be charged more for their health insurance than a man can be. And so we have our work cut out for us, but I tell you what, with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, we'll have the right team to get the work done for the American people. And I'm excited about that. Well, Representative Val Demings, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for your leadership. And I'm looking forward, I think, to, to next Tuesday. So, but thank you for taking time to talk to me today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. You take care. Stay safe. You too.